Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Small doses of help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. With me and Nancy Seals. It's so funky. <laughs> Oh my god, I know that really hurt Brendan's ears. But we're talking about side effects of doing a special. You know why? Because I did a special. And it is coming out January 26th on HBO. That's the graphic that just came up. That was the static and then the, the letters. It, you know, it's going to be cute. It's gonna be cute. So I just got back from shooting my HBO special, I Be Knowing, in New York City at the Edison Ballroom. We shot it on Sunday, uh, November 25th, right after Thanksgiving. The weather was like, oh, yes, bitch, we here. I mean, people really came out. It was such a beautiful time um, and just really a great experience for me, my team, my friends, my family, uh, my mom. I got a Gucci shoes and a matching purse. It was a lot of levels, a lot of levels. And so I wanted to do a, spe- I wanted to do a special episode dedicated to doing the special because the special was so special. Um, it's so special that I've decided to open a registry because, you know, we've seen this, we saw this on Sex and the City and it's true. A lot of women like don't get to celebrate like a big milestone in the same way that those who get married or have kids do. And it's like, but I want the presents. I want the presents. I told you I only get excited about two things, niggas and gifts. We've established this. I want the presents. And I like I my special day is not my wedding. Like that I let, let me, me correct that. that. My special day that I share with people is not my wedding. If I decide to get married, it's gonna be between me and the person. And I, I don't know, maybe like a, a handful of people, but I don't for me, Amanda, like that's not my milestone. That's not my turning point in my life. Me having a kid will be a milestone and a turning point. And I'm not saying getting married isn't a turning point, but the turning point up until this point is this HBO comedy special because my life will never be the same after this. And up until this point, my life has pretty much been pretty steady Betty. And this is basically the ascent of the summit. I have to find a new mountain now because this was the mountain I've been trying to climb. So like when you hit that point, it's like, oh, oh shit. shit. Like I like the, you create new goals, you create new, new standards, you create new um, interests. And I want to celebrate that. The last time I did this was when I graduated from grad school. Guess, Guess what, what happens when, when you graduate, graduate from grad school? school. Presence. Special event. And gifts. Okay? So, I opened a registry. I'm not going to tell y'all what the registry is. But, yeah. If you think some people didn't get some paperless posts, you're wrong. Things got me fucked up. Absolutely. Sending that shit out. Absolutely. It's going down. And I am going to 1,000% 
get a Roomba out of this. Let's get into this gem drop. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. <sighs> My gem drop today. <sighs> I don't even really know how to like put it in words, but the reality is, is that I personally feel that there are specials and then there are special specials. specials. Once upon a time, when there wasn't a million places to launch things, a special was a special because it was so exclusive to be able to even get a special. And now, it's not to say that specials are not as special because more people can get them, but I feel like because more people can get them, a lot of folks don't regard them in the same way. And their specials just end up being like, oh, here's an hour of material I put together versus here's the hour of material I've put together. This is a stamp on my legacy. This is a a defining moment of my voice at this time. And this is a clearly laid foundation of my style and my contribution to the comedic canon that is what specials used to be when we would see them in the 80s and 90s i feel like now it's more so just like a rite of passage like well if i have an hour of material i gotta put it on tape and because of that we're losing out on production value we're losing out on cohesion we're losing out on classic material. Folks aren't thinking about what they're wearing. You know, they're not really thinking about the impact of what they're ma- or what they're doing. I just feel like there's folks that, for all intents and purposes, are like, I'm just going to get this done because I think it's a fun thing to do. Everyone has a right to feel how they want to feel about whatever they feel. But we on my show right now. And I just feel like in my process of doing this special, I wanted every element to be special, which is why it's like my wedding. Because... Something old, something new, something borrowed, something funny. You know, there's all these different things that play into it. And it's so easy, I think, to kind of pish, you know, pish posh things if you if you see them happening so often that it becomes like we're lowering a value. But I don't think that should be the case. We got to still keep the elevation. We got to still keep special specials. We can't keep just doing just special. Now there's got to be a new level. Special squared? I mean, do we need to come up with a new name? It used to be like, this is a special. Now it's like, that's not enough. I just want to encourage all the comics out there like to not be hoodwinked by that shit. And money doesn't make something special. I don't feel like it has to be a matter of like, oh, well, we need a certain amount of money for something to be done in a dope way. And I don't think it means like where your special's at. You know, like, oh, well, if it's not on a certain network, then it isn't a certain level. Let me tell you, I was 1000% prepared to do my special independent because I was like, I would rather spend my own money to do this shit than take a half-assed little bit of money or just not even do it really right somewhere that doesn't really care. And I was fortunate enough to like, I put that into the universe and what came back was, well, Well, you're not going to have to do that. We better to have HBO do it. Um, But it's still like all of this comes down to what's your vision? And I know for me, when I watch certain specials, I say this isn't somebody who who enforced their vision. 
This isn't somebody who had a full vision. They had the jokes, but they didn't really look at this as this is the stamp that they're leaving when they get off that stage. This is still here. And that's what a special, in my opinion, should be about. And I look forward to seeing more folks consider that as they keep on making them. Well, by the time this airs, it will not be Hanukkah. But we're recording it on the second night of Hanukkah. And to that I say, Oh, dreidel, 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 I made it out of clay. Oh, dreidel, 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 oh, dreidel, I will play. Take it away, oh, Hanukkah, oh, Hanukkah, come like the menorah. Let's have a party with all that's a horror. Gather on the table, we'll give you a treat. Spinning lots to play with and good things to eat. And while we are playing, the candles are burning low. One for each night that we share as we'd like to remind us of days long ago. One for each night that we share as we like to remind us of days long ago. And just for good measure, tradition, tradition, Papa, can you hear me? All right. We're serving it. So here we are. DMTs, you guys have sent in some super dope questions. And I just really appreciate your interest in like my experience in shooting this special. So let's hit it. Are you afraid that a joke will be played out if you repeat it from one of your previous shows done in the past? Um, I think it's not so much that it would be like played out because I really feel like I bring a new energy to jokes when I tell them. And especially with the special, especially with the special. Wow, that's a lot. Um, there was a, just a different energy and you're seeing it in a different setting. Even if you've come to a live show and seen the, the work, seeing it on the TV and in that, or just seeing it on a small screen and in that space and in that setting, it takes on a different life. So I don't think I'm no, I'm, I'm so much worried about that. And I think the real key is also that I always add certain nuances for myself that kind of help bring it to life more. Um, but the other lasting part of it is that I'm an actress as well. And as an actor, you are so accustomed to repeating. You know, you have to do like 13 takes of the same lines over and over and over again. Every time you say them, they need to have the same energy. They need to have the same focus. They need to have, you know, inflection, etc. So I think I've also just been trained to be able to find light in material that I've already done before every time. Next question. Do you ever feel like you have to limit or be mindful of your jokes due to having white fans? Have you met me? <laughs> At the end of the day, if you're a fan of mine, you're a person who happens to be white. You already know what it is. I'm going to say nigga. I'm going to talk about the shit that you may not understand. And you are either going to Google that shit. You're going to find humor in the fact that, wow, I really don't know what she's talking about. That is hilarious. Um, or you already have black friends, so you was already put on to the fact that there are baby hair brushes anyway. 
So no, I don't do that. I, I made a deal with myself after I saw 12 Years a Slave. I talk about this all the time that I really was like, oh shit, fuck that. You are not going to keep on trying to cross over. You're going to break through and you're going to do so being as black as you want to be. Full, Full stop. stop. And if I have to ever like shift that, I always know like it ain't it ain't the space for me. That's what I love about comedy is that I don't have to shift that. I can be as black as I want to be. And I'm always challenged with having to figure out like how do I keep the humor? Um, how do I elevate the jokes to not be just information? How do I not just settle on a diss? Because I can do a diss joke. You know, my clapback game is ferocious. So I can do that in two seconds and I feel like sometimes it's low-hanging fruit and I have to challenge myself. Even when I talk about white people, I really work to like make sure that I'm going to be delivering wit and insight. Um, wit about whiteness, you know, whiteness, whiteness wit. wit. Uh, so that when it comes down to it, like you can disagree with me, uh, maybe, but you can't disagree with the fact that the shit is funny. Next question. Is there anything you would change for your next special after doing your first comedy special? I would be incredibly disciplinarian about making sure that my content is under an hour. Having to cut jokes for the special was really just, oh uh, man, it was painful. And it was a learning curve and it was a learning lesson for a lot of reasons, not just like learning that I should make sure that my special is under an hour when I'm when I'm running it, but also just like learning and you know how to how to make the best edits and how to determine like I got a real lesson in my style because in determining what jokes you're going to cut, you're basically determining like what matters most to your messaging. You know, it's not just about time. It's like, okay, well we have these three jokes that are all four minutes, which one has to go. And it can be a Sophie's choice sometimes, but I really feel like I, I, at the end of the day, I was working with people like Jesse Collins and Dion Harmon at Jesse Collins Entertainment and Stan Lathan. And, you know, we may have had like differences in opinion, but everybody respected each other's opinions. And uh, uh, when it boiled down to it, everybody at the apex of it all respected that this is my voice solely. Everybody's involved. Everybody has a stake in it. But I, you know, it's like they got the windows the doors but i got the house so we can lose the windows and the doors and we'll still be able to be under this roof but if we lose the house we ain't got no use for these windows and doors so we all understand the respect and utilitarianism of each other being there and and what it means for all of us to have to be watchful about checking in on things so that was one thing that i feel like was major I, I before I did the special, I wanted this like elaborate, not elaborate, but I wanted a set that had like set pieces and, you know, accoutrement. And in, in the end, I just decided, fuck that. I'm just going to have a blue curtain because the set designer didn't really like share the same kind of clarity of thought with me on what I was looking for. And then when I got a render that had like African baskets on my stage, I was like, OK, so we're going to just, you know, strike it. Let's 86 the baskets. Yep. Nix the masks. Let's just, let's cut it. Yeah. And so I decided to go with a blue curtain with a stool and a smart, funny, and black mug on the stage. When you think about comedy specials, for the most part, the greats, they're up there by themselves. It's a curtain and it's them and a mic and a stool and a stand. 
And I am absolutely in no way shitting on sets because I think sets are fun and great. But I think it ended up becoming like a a point of pride for me to say, no, you know what? Let's make this first one just you and the jokes and nothing to distract. And people like it or they don't. And that's that. And if you don't like it, I don't need to know. I really don't. I don't need to know. You can tell your friends. You could, you know, tell anybody who'll listen. Don't at me, though. Next question. This is a three-part question. And this is why I will wrap up DMTs with this humdinger. One, did you write material specifically for the special based on a chosen theme? Or did you use material tested from other shows? Or did you throw in a little bit of this and a little bit of that? Two, did you seek guidance from your mentors on how to construct the show? And three, how did you mentally, spiritually, emotionally prepare for it? Well, I did a little bit of writing for the show mostly to like bump up jokes that I had already tested in other spaces and also to create like smoother, tighter segues. Um, My boy Reg Thomas, who's also a comic, he really helped in doing that and making it really just tightened and having another voice and another person to bounce off of. Um, I think that it was really helpful to have that because you can just kind of get in your own head. And I am somebody who doesn't write jokes. I I verbalize them to get the jokes. So it was good to be able to like have the exchange back and forth and like find the jokes that way. Because whenever I write a joke with my pen and I put it on stage, it bombs every single time, every literally every time, every time I'm like, Oh, this is going to be funny. Watch. Oh, I got him this time. Oh, I got him this time. And without fail, the audience is like. Crickets. Crickets. So I've learned that lesson and I don't play that game no more. You also asked, did you seek guidance from your mentors on how to construct the show? Um, no, I didn't. And what's funny is that I've had mentors reach out and say like, hey, you know, I would love to help you with the special if you need it. But then I had already shot the special, so they didn't really know about it until like it came out in the press. But um, no, I didn't. I, I I basically was working out the material for a certain amount of time, just like not even with the intention of doing a special. It was just like, you know, I have these jokes and I'm elevating them and tightening them. And then when you start headlining, you know, you got to do an hour when you go to headline. So you kind of want to have certain jokes that you know are cultivated and are solid and whatnot. But then when I started considering like I'm, I'm going to do, do a special, special whether they do it or I do it, I got more focused on what does your hour look like. And in trying to determine that, I really actually let go of stuff that I was sure in the beginning, oh, this is absolutely going in my hour. And then I would just realize like, you know what? You need more time to get that tight. I have a particular joke about police brutality that I love, but I've, I didn't abandon it, but I put it to the side because this just wasn't the special to do it on. And I'm somebody who really, really sticks to my guns, like in terms of my um, intuition. Like, I feel like I have a really, really solid intuition about particularly just my style and my work. And so when I have an inclination or just like a thought that says like, no, nah, that's, that's not, not that's, that's not, not the move, move, I go with it and I don't look back. So I let that go. Um... And then the last question she asked was, what did I do to prepare emotionally, physically, and mentally for this? I could have prepared way more physically. Uh, I basically 
just really tried to keep my tennis lessons up and also eating. I was eating a lot better because, and I can't, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I was eating healthy because I wanted to have like a clear mind. I was eating healthy because I wanted to have a clear face. Okay. I didn't want pimples. I was, I already have like two blemishes forming on either side of my face because I was like, fuck Fuck that. that. When I was done, I was like, I'm eating cheese. I'm eating cheese. Go fuck everybody. I'm eating cheese. It's happening. And that's what I did, Rebecca. I ate some cheese. A lot of it. Uh, Emotionally, it's weird. Emotionally, I kind of like, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I just haven't even dealt with it emotionally yet. It was so very much like, this is happening and now you must get it together to do it. I never had like a breakdown moment or just like a pressure moment. It just feels like I've been working my whole life to get to this moment and I'm not going to squander it. So the emotion is less about pressure and more just about, I don't even want to say excitement. It's just a certain level of readiness. And I don't even know if that's an emotion, but I just feel very calm which is kind of freaking me out, actually. Remember when Jean Grey was like sitting in the house and like all the cars outside started levitating and she's just looking at them like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm doing, doing it. it. <laughs> what do you want from me? That's kind of like how I feel, except I'm not trying to make the cars levitate. They just are levitating. I know it's me doing it, but like I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I emotionally didn't really have to do a lot of preparation. And I think part of that too is because I have good people around me and they were more excited than me about the special. Not to say that they were more excited, but they showed their excitement in a whole new way, you know? Uh, So that was super dope. Mentally, I prepared by originally, um, and I'll get into this in people I like, but originally I really thought I was going to have to get like super duper surgical about this, where I thought I was going to need to have every word be precise. And I thought I was going to have to really just like r- not switch up things and get very consistent and lock in that this is the exact material I'm doing. And Stan Lathan and my agent, Adam Janavizian, they were both just like, nah, you don't have to do that at all. And I'm not even sure where I got that from, but in this process, it was just like, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of just like throwing things against the wall. And Adam was like, you know, listen, you're not a surgical comic. That's not your style. You are free. You are improv. You are a storyteller. So you need to leave room for you to go there and to take space and to figure things out. And I really like in watching my special three million times during this edit, really realized that so much of my comedy is simply about, um, storytelling in such an organic way. I mean, I don't think I ever truly, truly realized that my comedy is storytelling. Like, I'm not a punchline comic. I tell stories. That's it. It's just a matter of the format of the story and <laughs> and that. But I basically tell stories and sing songs. So if you like that kind of shit, come on down. But the biggest thing I would say that I had to prepare for mentally was just the idea of like, I, I am, am not in the, the business, business of fucking up. There was a lot of time that where I had time to do that. And at this point, it's about delivery and it is about, I don't want to say coming through. That's not even like the word I'm looking for, but it's really just about giving what was asked of you on a level that they didn't even see coming. So I've ascended from a space of just trying to pull it off. Now it's like, I got to give it to you in legacy mode. 
when I'm putting shit out at this point, this is what, and this is what I mean by turning this corner. Because with doing this special, it takes me from someone who was doing things for themselves that other people may see to now someone who was doing things for the world that I already saw. And it's a different frame of mind. I already saw in my future that I would do this, but now it's being done in a space that is beyond even my, beyond my perspective. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's the grandeur of it is something that I have yet to really truly totally conceive before it would be like, okay, I see this idea. I'm going to do it. See what happens. I'm going to just do it for me. Whoever sees it, they see it. If they don't, they don't big whoop. And now like that, who's seeing it is an, an integral part of the equation in how you make the macro of the vision come together. And I am a macro micro person. Um, so mentally it was just like, don't overwhelm yourself with the perfectionism of the meticulousness, but also don't overwhelm, overwhelm yourself with the grandeur of like what you're getting the opportunity to do. And I think that a lot, listen, uh, other people have had specials. So it's not, it's not like I'm trying to undermine anybody else's by any means. But for me and my personal experience, like this is a huge thing because I also know that my message is a very specifically different message than other people's. And I've set out in my life to share that message. And it's a message that a lot of folks may not necessarily find it to be their responsibility or other folks are scared to, or other folks just don't want to. And I know that in my willingness to do so, it, it has weight to it. And I can't undermine or take for granted that it has matter. And it matters. People I like. Yeah. Doing this comedy special, I, well, one, let me just say this. I've never had such an outpouring of support in my life. Like, in a very tangible way. Like, don't get me wrong, people send you texts and people leave comments and call you. But flowers? I, I, I mean... My room was just full of flowers and it was like, it, you could smell them. I mean, they were just so beautiful. And it was, it was also like, oh, you're doing some grown up shit. So your grown up friends are sending you grown up gifts, flowers and champagne. I don't even drink. Not like that. But I got like seven bottles of champagne. I got a Dom Perignon. And... The flowers, my mom was like, oh my God, I never seen flowers like this. And that was like a wild situation. But when I talk about like who really helped me to prepare for this, it comes down to Stan Lathan. Stan Lathan is a legend. Stan Lathan directed Beat Street. He created Deaf Comedy Jam, Deaf Poetry Jam. I met him when I was 19 on season one of Deaf Poetry Jam. We shot it at the Edison Ballroom, which was back then. The Supper Club. So we shot that in 2002 in New York City. And then we came back in 2004 
and I did a second season. And then here we are in 2018 and we shot my special there. And I wanted to shoot my special there because I wanted to shoot it somewhere that had like an emotional attachment to me. But having Stan on board with this process, Stan has always like extended himself as somebody in this business who is willing to give me advice and, you know, be a sounding board as a, a legend and, you know, as an experienced person. But I didn't realize how much I needed the mentorship. I haven't really gotten to have mentors in this game like that. I mean, there's people who have definitely like been a, a willing party to my confusion. <laughs> um, you know, like the Beverly Bonds and the Bevy Smiths of the world who have absolutely heard me be like, nah! and been like, okay, you know, Charlemagne. Um, actually, everybody on The Breakfast Club, Angela Yee, Envy, and Charlemagne have all at some point in my life been like the shoulder that I was leaning on to try and get some like solidity into the making the next step. Um, but Stan in this process really, I don't know if I thought because he's so seasoned and because he's done so many of these i mean he just won the emmy for doing dave Chappelle's special i just thought he would not not that i thought he would like phone it in but i just kind of didn't expect him to have the level of excitement that he had because i thought he would i just thought that he would be like i won't even say jaded but that just it would just be like yeah like i've done this you know y'all that nigga was like we were doing a student film i mean it was so dope to have this person meet me at my excitement and sometimes even be like, yeah, come on, you know, and and be really just right there with me in the creative process and and um, helping me to understand just like the 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 boundaries of my voice and of my work and then even more finite the boundaries of the stage and like it's better if you're up here it's better if you're in this light you know we need this many cameras no we need this, this many cameras. cameras no we need this, this many, many cameras. cameras I want to make this shit as beautiful as I can and just really looking at this project as a, not just an extension of my own legacy but of his and in that just putting everything he got and that's why I say like I could have pulled it off but because of Stan Lathan I didn't pull it off I, I showed up ready. ready I had no concerns about what I was gonna do because I had been vetted like I had I had been worked with and it wasn't just me having to say well let's see if what you figured out what you figured out I did six run-throughs before Stan came to like five of them the only one he didn't come to is when I was in Nashville and that type of support is, whew, especially for someone who's so independent and it's like, I'm going to still get it done even if I don't have that support. To have that support, it just lifts you up even more. I mean, shit, Stan is my dad. I mean, Stan told me everything my father should have told me. Like, in my life, Stan told me within, like, two weeks. I mean, it was really just, like, super natural. Um, I hope Sanaa knows. I, I might, might be at Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving next year, year just, just so, so you know. know. But... It was super dope to just be able to share this with like um, somebody who cares as much and even being in the edit and just watching the the meticulousness of how he was deciding on what should be there, what should be where, who should be in the audience and, and what what takes makes sense. You know, that makes you feel safe with your work. It makes you feel safe with your art. And if you're like me. Your art is a 100% extension of yourself. So I don't put shit out recklessly. I don't say things, you know, carelessly for the, I, I mean, mean, at least, least for the, the most part. part. And I wanted to give you all a comedy special 
that was as close to classic as possible. And I feel like because Stan Lathan was a part of this, it allowed me to get that much closer to that. And I can't take away uh, Jesse and Dion because, you know, (laughs) both of them always have jokes. They're always hilarious. And I just always felt like there was an uh, there was an overlying thought process that said we want to make this as best as possible for Amanda. And that's the best you can ask for. Really. It's the best you can ask for. That one time. (laughs) I don't really know what to talk about for that one time. I mean, I guess I'll just tell you about the night. When I got to the venue, my hairstylist and my makeup artist were there. And Renee, my makeup artist, has been doing my makeup since like 2012. We would be in my bathroom like... And my bathroom was the size of a closet in New York. And she was like, I remember you saying we won't always be in the bathroom. We won't always be in the bathroom. And here we were in this like beautiful suite in the middle of Times Square and flowers again. And um, it was so like, like we were all just like, oh my God, oh my God. So then... The day before, we had done the promo shoot, and I had a gold microphone. And so my hairstylist, Nikki B, was like, oh, I think it's so dope that y'all going to have the gold microphone. And I was like, what, wait, wait, what? Do you, wait, what? She was like, you know, like, for the shoot, like, I think the gold microphone is dope. And I was like, but we, but wait, no, the gold microphone was just for the promo photos. We don't, we don't have a gold microphone for the, for the shoot. She was like, oh, I mean, you got to get a gold microphone. Next thing I knew, I turned around like my whole team was on the phone. I was like, call Sam Ash, call Guitar Center, call B&H, call Adorama. Like all of us are just like calling around to try and get a gold microphone. So now Fatima's like, okay, well, this guy says that their store doesn't have any more gold microphones, but that he has one that he rents to Nick Cannon, but it's in Jersey and it's a $400 rental, even though it actually costs $400. But if we want it, then his wife will go to Jersey, get it from storage and bring it back and she'll have it here by soundcheck. And I'm like, it has to be here by soundcheck. And they're like, we'll have it here by soundcheck. She's like, do you want to pull the trigger? And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. So she's like, all right, well. I'm like, first make sure that the tech people, you know, are going to be okay with this microphone. So she calls down to the tech and the production crew is like, nah, like that's not going to, like that style, that brand is not a trusted one for what we're doing. Like we haven't tested it enough, so we should not use that. And so we're just like, fuck. And I was like, shit, I mean, I wish we could just like paint a microphone. Then Dom, our videographer, who and his youthful innocence was like, I mean, why not? And we were like, Wait, what, what what do you speak of? He was like, I'm saying, like, why can't we just paint a microphone? I was like, yo. You right, you right. So that is what happened. My other, like, assistant, Jana, she ran down to 34th Street. They called the production people. We're like, what microphone are y'all using? They told us. We bought that exact microphone, and then we got a, sp- a bottle of spray paint, and they told us exactly how we need to paint it. We came back. The prop crew hung it over, like, a, a rod on the wire and, like, spinning it around and sprayed it, and voila! I got me a gold microphone. So 
excited. My outfit was handmade by my homegirl, Sharufa. She owns a, a line, a label called Janaki. And, you know, we just, over time, like, she, I, I've known Sharufa for, since 2012 as well. And I trust Sharufa. Same way that I trust my makeup artist, where it's like, I don't got to say nothing. Like, I mean, they ask me, like, what are you thinking of? And I'll kind of just give my overall and then I don't have to be, like, monitoring. It's it's such a collaborative but yet just safe uh, space. And Sharufa made this outfit that I just think is super incredible. When you watch it, try to watch it in 4K so you can see the gold threads glittering in the lights of the venue. Off comes the makeup. <laughs> Wait. First of all, Rebecca, I don't like you. Okay. <laughs> like, I was just calmly about to sing Bobby Darren's The Curtain <laughs> The Curtain Falls. <laughs> and I look over and Rebecca's eyes are gigantic. Like, what, what is she about to do? Because that's how I felt. Because like Bobby Darren is like so like New York, you know, like old New York. I mean, the first song that we played the day of the shoot. Was New York, New York. And it just felt great to be sitting in there in the hotel room like, yeah, yeah motherfucking New York. New York. It's up to you, New York. And then the song that I listen to when I'm walking to the stage is, of course, I've paid my dues time after time. <laughs> we are the champions, my friends, and we keep on fighting till the end. And like the, you have to, you have to listen to the live version. That's what you have to do. If you're in that space, you have to listen to the live version. You can hear the audience be like, "We are the champions." No time for losers. We are. I mean, because that's really what it is. Ain't no time for losers. I mean, there's no time. You're about to go on stage. I wrote the introduction um, the day before. We flew out and I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I had an idea of what I wanted to do. I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I didn't really know how I was going to execute it. And then I was asleep on the plane and I just woke up like, like literally woke up like a vampire that was like, oh, time to read. And was just like, oh my God, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And Stan was like three rows behind me. And I was like, Stan, I got it. I got it. I didn't really know that it was like going to be like dope. And Stan like loved the opening, loved the intro. And what ended up happening was we shot it. I'm proud of it. I got exactly what I wanted out of it. I had to memorize it, which was a test because the other thing is that we shot it in a place that had a lot of smells. You just never really know how smells are going to affect your ability to recall. Um, and so when I was trying to remember this like intense script that I had written, the smells would like disrupt so what i'm saying is you know there's there's leonardo dicaprio sleeping in a horse in the revenant and then there's me dealing with the smells both of us just really 
pushing the acting limits. Push it to the limit. The last dose. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I was really just, I wanted to be able to just share with you guys the experience. And there's going to be even more stuff to share. And I'm going to do a whole press tour and press run and whatnot. So that's uh, how that's going to work. And over that time, I'm going to be sharing a lot of stories. Because when you do something like this, you got to do hella press. And you get tired of telling the same story every time so it should be a good time and i want you to listen out because you'll hear some more insight and input and you know me i'd be i'd be thinking so i'm sure i'll have some more epiphanies in the process but uh again my special i be knowing premieres january 26th on the home box office aka HBO. hbo and thank you all for being such incredible supporters and coming to the tapings. But let me tell you this. Next time I do a taping, don't Don't bring bring your man if he ain't a fan. Because what I'm not going to do again is look out into the audience at confused faces, wondering why they're here because I'm telling jokes about women and they don't understand it. My My taping taping is not your date night. Okay? All right. Yay. So look out for it. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be popping. And until then, uh, you know, make sure you do what I do, which is have a full binge watch of Game of Thrones before season eight. The The final final season season. premieres April. Also on HBO. You know what that means? That means that HBO makes Game of Thrones in my special. Ah! Hello, Magulis.